0: amen amen well we are in first peter chapter five and as we've been going through the word today we're going to be talking on leadership as well as speaking on the crowns of believers and so i know that uh, many times as we go through the word of god the lord always seems to have a message for us all but what's so amazing about this is that uh, today's message is very much for me also And I love going through his word because as we go through it, we know that we will not miss any part of it. And uh, there's always something that he gives us. And as we do partake of his word, we know that uh, he has so much to say. Uh, One of the things that that we're going to learn today is just the insight that we as pastors, pastors of the church have been called to do. It's going to give you a better understanding of our position as well as insight on those that are called to leadership. And I didn't want to make this message just about uh, myself and the calling upon pastors and leaders, but the Lord had also placed it upon my heart to talk about something that's very important, something that I think that we as believers tend to forget about, and that is the crowns that we receive that many of us can possibly receive as believers. And so with that, I do want to begin to read in First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And let's do so now. It says, The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. We see here first, you know, we see here the, the elders The elders who are among you who are elders you know when we think about this we can easily say "Well, they're pastors or they're the 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 people in charge and and that is very much the case but there's sort of some meaning to the different titles that that these individuals have you know we are the spiritual leaders of the church and and there are leaders that are also within the church that may not be pastoring right there's some that that are over ministries there's some that are teaching little ones, and some that are shepherding the little sheep. And so, as we have a, 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 just a sense of, of what this word is, I want to give you some other words and their definitions. When it comes to a bishop, what is it that a bishop means? A bishop means an overseer, okay? So, and these words are, are interchanged, but it's important for us to understand that there is a difference between some of these. When it comes to pastors, what is it that pastor mean? It means shepherd. That is what a pastor means. That word is, is referred to, to shepherds. And then we have the word here, elder. What does the word elder mean? The word elder means, it refers to the maturity of the office. The office of an overseer, the office of a shepherd. See, and this is characterized by either age, by experiences, or, or by character, right? And so as we look at this, Peter is exhorting the elders, And why would he exhort the elders? See, something was going on here at the church. And for those of you that remember that when Peter wrote this letter, there was a great persecution upon the believers. We know that the great fire that that started in in 64 AD in, in Rome there, that the Christians were blamed for this fire. And we know that it was... Uh, Started and most likely started. I mean, it's not for certain, but 95% sure is that the Emperor Nero himself started this fire. But prior to and after that, the believers were experiencing great persecution. It was a time of trouble. And so what he says here, he's, he's exhorting the elders. Why would he exhort the elders at this time? See, it's important for us to understand that at a time of great persecution, what is an elder to do? You know, when there's times of suffering, times of attacks, one thing that we know is that as leaders, as elders, as pastors, we are not to abandon the flock. This is so important because we know that as, at time of persecution, it really reveals the heart of a leader, the heart of a pastor. And we know that when a hireling is, is called to lead a church or to pastor a church, At the signs of trouble, what's the first thing that he's going to do? He's going to run, right? He's going to say to himself, you know what? I'm not paid enough money to deal with these things. But see, that is not so for the shepherd. The shepherd is supposed to take great care of the sheep. The shepherd is supposed to be there to protect the sheep, to tend to the sheep, to feed the sheep, to comfort the sheep. And we know that As Peter here, he says to himself, he says, I am a fellow elder. You know what? He's identifying himself as an elder with the others. See, one thing that we know about Peter is that, you know what? He so much grew into this man or this elder. Remember when he first started walking with Jesus, the pride that he had, the failures that he had, the disappointments that he had. See, this was Peter, right? This is the way our walk is many times. But see, as he began to mature, as he began to grow, not only in age, but in experience and in character, he refers to himself as an elder. But we know that Peter was much more than an elder. When we look at the life of Peter, we know that he was an apostle. He was the apostle, and more than likely, we know for a fact that he was the leader of the apostles. And when Peter says here that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. One thing that we know about Peter is that he walked with Jesus. We know that Peter saw the miracles that Jesus did. We know that Peter heard the teachings that Jesus had. We know that Peter saw the crucifixion and the ascension of Jesus. And we also know that he heard the words of Christ when Christ was crucified on the cross. And so as we go through this, these verses today, because we're only going to go through four verses today, but we're going to see here, we're going to see a glimpse of Peter's experiences when it came to his walk and what he became, the transformation that took place in his life as he matured from walking with Jesus to the time that he wrote this letter. As Peter writes it, he addresses himself as the elders, I mentioned. He was letting them know that he was one of them. And we know that he was one, an elder, that had matured based on the things that he had gone through. See, if you want to see a transformation in a man, we can see it here. We're going to read about it here. See, this man walked with Jesus. And we're going to see the experiences that he had And why he could write the way he wrote. See, as Christians, this brings up a very important point. As Christians, we should be progressing. See, we should not be stagnant as Christians. We should not be not growing as Christians. Every single one of us should be moving forward. Because if you're not moving forward, then you are backsliding. It's important for us to understand this. We have to be growing in our ways, in our thoughts, in our actions of imitating Christ. We know that none of us are perfect. We know that we're not going to get from point A to point B in a matter of of a month or a year. But it's going to take time. And this is called that transformation, that progression of becoming more like Christ. If you see yourself being stagnant and not moving forward... Then you are in a very dangerous place. See, because you are prone to backslide. You are prone to fall backwards. And us, as Christians, we are called to move forward. We are to be changing our lifestyles. We are to be changing our thoughts. We are to be getting better and better in this walk. When we think to ourselves, for Peter, the leader that he was from the beginning, But now the leader that he became, one that could say, I am a fellow elder. We know that as he finished the second letter, Peter, the second letter of Peter, he exhorts everyone to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to grow in his love and his grace and his word. This is an exhortation for all of us. This is for each and every one of us that we are to grow in Christ. We are not to stay where we were when we first came to know Christ. As I mentioned, we have great insight into Peter's life. As he says there, he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You know, when you think about the sufferings of Christ, what kind of sufferings did Christ have? He had greater sufferings than no man could ever have. We know this for a fact. We read about it in the Gospels. We read about it in the life of Jesus. When we think about just the mockery that he received, right? This was a suffering, a mental suffering that there's no way that we could endure and that he should have endured. But when we think about the physical abuse that Jesus received, you know, it was enormous. It was just horrendous. When you think about the cat of nine tails, right, when it all began. You know what, just the the, the whip, this this whip that, that had stones and glass in it, that as it would hit the back of Jesus Christ, that it would indent and it would pull out His skin. How many of these lashes did He take? The ripping of His flesh. It wasn't easy, but He endured. Remember, He received beatings during this time. What about the thorn that went on His head? The crown of thorns. You know, you think to yourself, the nailing on the cross, the cross behind me. You think to yourself that Jesus would have endured the nails on His hands and on His feet and then the piercing on His side. You think to yourself, Peter saw this. Peter was an eyewitness to these sufferings that Jesus Christ did for us. For the sins that we committed. And why would Peter say, I was also a partaker of it? A partaker of the glory that will be revealed. See, one thing we know about being an apostle, it had great privileges, right? The fact that he was able to walk with Jesus, the fact that he was able to see the miracles that Jesus did. The fact that he was able to experience these and, and even the working of the Holy Spirit through Peter was able to also Do healings. But we know that there was also great hardship because of this. And we discussed this last week. The suffering, the persecution, the hardship that we as believers should not be ignorant to. Knowing that we will also be facing these type of sufferings. But I want to show you this if we turn to Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5 verse 40. We are given here insight, and I'm not, I can't go over the whole chapter, so I just want to give you sort of a quick summary that, you know, because of the preaching of the name of Christ, you know, the apostles were, were in prison, they were beaten, and what we're going to be reading here is their release. In verse 40 it says, And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. Peter himself received this suffering, this persecution, these beatings and Peter says he rejoices in the fact that he had the privilege of suffering shame for the name of Christ of suffering of receiving the beaten the beatings that he received because he was a follower of Christ but Peter also mentions as we go back to 1 Peter he mentions that one day the glory will be revealed he mentions the fact that this will happen one day what Does Peter refer to here? See, there will be a reward that will be given one day. See, these rewards that we're going to have, we're going to receive them when we're before the judgment seat of Christ. This is when the church is raptured. This is when the church, all of us as believers, and not just this church, but all true followers and believers of Jesus Christ, we will be in heaven. And we will all pass through the beam of seat. And this is when the glory of God will be revealed. And we will also receive the rewards that are due us. And at the end of this message today. At the end of these verses. I will be talking about the crowns that some believers will receive. But what Peter was trying to tell the elders. He was saying, you know what? Don't let these circumstances bring you down. The fact that Christians are being persecuted. The fact that your flock is being persecuted. The fact that you're being persecuted. Don't let this bring you down. Don't lose hope. Because they will all be worth it in the end. In verse 2 of 5 it says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. You know, as we go through these two verses here, these exhortations are for the pastors. These exhortations are for the leaders, those that shepherd flock. And the first exhortation that we're going to be talking about here for these individuals, for the pastors, it says, shepherd the flock of God. When we look at the word shepherd, what does the word shepherd mean? The word shepherd means to care for. It means to tend to. It means to feed the flock. And I'm going to give you a story here because see, as we look at the experiences of Peter, as they relate to what he's writing here, they have much relevance. Do you remember Peter And the disciples, after the crucifixion of Christ, they were extremely discouraged. They thought that Jesus had not been truthful, or they didn't remember the fact that He would be rising from the dead. And so, what what does Peter and the apostles do? What is it that they go out and do? They went fishing. And this is in John chapter 21. And as they're fishing, what happens there is that Jesus, he's at the shore. And what he does is he screams out and he says, hey, do you guys have food? And they say, no. And then he says, you know what? I want you to throw your your nets on the right side of the boat. And as they threw the net on the right side of the boat, guess what they caught? They caught all kinds of fish, an abundance of fish. And so John, as he sees this, the Apostle John, John says, you know what? That's the Lord, Peter. And Peter says, he looks and he's just so overwhelmed with joy. You know what the first thing he does? He jumps in the sea. And he swims out to Jesus. And as They all have breakfast with Jesus as Jesus shares with them. Him and Peter, they have an intimate conversation during this time. And the first word that he asks Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And we know, of course, Peter responds, you know I do. And then Peter tells him, I mean, Jesus tells him, then feed my lambs. And then Jesus tells, asks Peter again, do you love me? Do you truly love me? And of course, Peter says, you know that I do. And so Jesus responds by saying, tend my sheep. And this happens a third time. And he tells Peter, then feed my sheep. You see these instructions that Peter received are the same instructions that he gives to shepherds today. This is what he talks about when he says, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd means to tend, to to care, to feed. This is what we are instructed to do. And this is what he exhorts the elders to do, those that are the pastors of the churches. And so if he calls us shepherds, and guess what he calls all of you? You guys are all sheep. So you guys can start saying, bah, I'm kidding. But you guys are sheep. We're the shepherd, and you are the sheep. And did you know there are many similarities between the behavior of sheep and people? Did you know that the similarities between sheep and people are remarkable? They are very similar. We talk about the sheep that have fears. We talk about sheep that are timid. We talk about sheep that are stubborn. We talk about sheep that are dumb and stupid. We talk about sheep that have perverse habits. We talk about sheep that have mob-like instincts. They are similar to people. See, you and I, we were once wandering sheep. And what's so amazing is that The shepherd found us. See, sometimes we say we found God. But see, God was never lost. You and I are the ones that are lost. You and I are the ones that needed to be found. And Jesus found us. As we were wandering in this perverse world. And what the Lord has done is He has placed you now into this fellowship. And why has He placed you here? Because see, every single one of us, just like sheep, we want relief from our wounds, from our bruises, from our diseases, from the parasites that attach themselves to us. And only the shepherd can bring this to you. See, as sheep, we are prone to wander off and not follow the shepherd. But when you begin to wander off, Understand that the wolves will prey on you and they will eat you alive. See, this is why the Lord has created the fellowship. See, because we can be wandering if we don't have a place to belong. See, sheep like being around others. Sheep feel secure being around the other sheep. And the same is for us. We need to be around believers. Why is it that we need to be around believers? To help one another, to encourage one another. This is why the Lord says, do not forsake the fellowship of the brethren. Because if you forsake this fellowship, you're going to be eaten alive. That fire, that zeal, that passion that you have for Christ, it's going to burn out. It's going to get so busy and caught up with the ways of the world. And these ways that you get caught up in are only going to destroy you. When we come to church, what's so key about coming to church is what I give you now, the Word of God. We need to be hearing the Word of God. We run on empty and we begin, if we're not hearing the Word of God, then we have garbage in. And that's the garbage that comes out. But if we have the Word of God coming in, then we know that the Word of God is doing its perfect work in our lives. And this is what's coming out when we walk in this world. As sheep, understand one thing. We cannot survive on our own. Just like sheep that are the defenseless animals that they are. Did you know that once sheep turn over, they can't turn back on their own? And get up on their four feet. They need to be helped. They need to be assisted. They are defenseless animals. And you also will be defenseless if you are out in this world apart from a fellowship that God has created and made you a part of. We will be eaten by wolves, we will die of starvation, we will perish in our fears. Sheep are dumb and fearful. And it's important that we will become the same. I have been called to shepherd this flock that you all belong to. And I want you to understand this, that none of you can ever say that you belong to Pastor Tony. See, even though I belong, even though I shepherd this flock, I am also a part of this flock. You hear several people that say, oh yeah, I belong to this pastor or this pastor Or that pastor. It's important for you to understand that you belong to God. This is why he says, shepherd the flock of God. This is God's flock. This is God. You are God's sheep. And He is who you belong to. I belong to God. This ministry belongs to God. All that we have in this place belongs to God. Everything that we do in the name of Christ... It is His work. Understand that I cannot take credit. None of you can take credit for what God does here. For what God does through our lives. Anything that we do that you know that God has equipped you to do it. It is His work. These are His gifts. And when we begin to realize this, then we will walk humbly before Him. Otherwise, we become puffed up thinking that it is us that do this. One of the things that is so important when it comes to the type of sheep that you will grow into, it usually depends on the shepherd that you have. Understand this, right? And I will give you an analogy or or an illustration of this so that it gives you a better understanding of this. See, the shepherd that you have usually will determine what you grow into. See, because if a shepherd is gentle, loving, caring, kind, brave, courageous, selfless, devoted to the flock, feeding you well, then what's going to happen to you? You will flourish and you will thrive. Understand that. It's just like any shepherd that takes care of sheep. If he's loving and kind and caring and brave and courageous and selfless and devoted and feeding you, then you will flourish, then you will thrive. But see, if the shepherd is hard and careless, if he is intending to the sheep, if he's not feeding you, then you won't thrive, then you won't flourish. One of the things that we want, and it is so important when it comes to the flock of God and especially in the Calvary Chapel movement, it's so important to, to love you as sheep. It's so important to feed you the things that you need, to provide for you, to care for you. And one thing that happens is that sheep beget sheep. And what do I mean by this? Is we want you growing and producing. How do you grow? How do you produce? By the changes in your life. And people are going to want to know what happened to you. I knew who you were before and look at this man or woman that you've become. What happened? How did this happen? gives you the opportunity to share Christ. See, it isn't my plan to to just keep this church at this size. You know what? I have it in my heart that, you know what? That we would multiply this church. That we would have second services. That we would have third services. Why is that? Because there's a lot of sinners out there. And they need saving. And you know what? This church is here to give the good news. This church is here to care and to tend and to provide and to protect the sheep. See, we want you growing in the grace and in the knowledge. And we want you growing in numbers. Whatever God decides for us, that's what we'll do. But it is God's will that we would continue to reach out. That we would continue to grow his desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is the se- second exhortation for pastors? It says to serve as overseers. You know, this is where we get the word bishop. The shepherds are to lead you. As I mentioned to you before, you know what? I'm not only a part of the flock but I've been chosen by God to lead you, to lead this flock. But what's so amazing and what's so awesome about this is that I don't need to lead you in my ways. Because if I led you in my ways, my ways would only lead to destruction. But what I lead you in is I lead you in the ways of God, in the word of God. That is my responsibility. I've been called to lead you by His word. You know, if I had my plans and my ideas, they wouldn't flourish. But we know that if God builds a house, it's not built in vain. I am to allow the Lord to build the house, and I am to be led by His Word. This is why He tells us that His Word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. The third thing for pastors, it says, not by compulsion, but willingly. See, as shepherds, no one forces me to do this job. No one has forced me to say, you know what? You are the shepherd. You are going to be the pastor and you better do it or I'm going to strike you dead. God doesn't tell me that. You know what? I have done this willingly. I've heard the calling of God upon my life. And I answered that calling And I do it not because I'm forced to do it. It isn't because God has a sword and He's ready there looking at me and saying, I will rip you up if you don't do it. I do it because I want to do it. I do it willingly as He says shepherds are to do. And if God has called you to be a shepherd, understand one thing. He will equip you to be the shepherd. One thing about this job is, I'll be honest with you, it's not a job, it's a labor of love. One thing about this labor of love is that I don't get tired of it. If it's of the Spirit, you will not get tired of it. And that's what's so amazing is that I don't get burned out of it. You know what I'm getting tired of? My second job. I am very tired of that job. But I'm still there. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But see, we as leaders, as pastors, as shepherds, we are not to be lazy. Understand this one thing shepherds cannot be lazy. If I become lazy, guess what happens? You know what? I'm no longer going to be feeding you. You know what? I'm not going to be studying the Word of God in order for you to grow. I'm not going to be leading you to green pastures so that you can partake and have a full meal on Sundays and Thursdays. See, what's so important is that if I'm lazy, I'm not going to be watching out for wolves that come into the church that try to destroy and to take prey on the sheep. See, This is what happens in the church of God. I cannot be lazy. I don't know if you know something about me. And I think many of you have noticed this about me. Is that I'm always watching. I'm always looking. Even when I'm talking to you, I'm always looking. I'm seeing what's going on in the fellowship. What's going on even in this outreach. My eyes are everywhere just to see what is happening. Just to make sure that things, that wolves don't come in. It is something that we need to be, that we need to do. And if I'm not lazy, then you will grow, you will thrive, and you will reproduce. The fourth thing that we are given is that it says, we are not to shepherd the flock of God for dishonest gain, but eagerly. As shepherds, our hearts Should not be in this for money. And I can tell you this that there are many shepherds that do it for money. False teachers are always trying to squeeze money out of you. This is why they will give you sermons on a weekly basis on giving. This is why they say that the ministry will not survive if you don't give. This is why they say that it is so important to give. Which it is true. But not to force you to give. Because the word of God tells us that we are to be cheerful givers. And this is so important. See there are many false teachers that are out there. Wolves. That are motivated by the dollar. One of the qualities of a pastor Is that he is not to be greedy for money. And as we know, what greed does, it is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money in itself, but the greed of it. When it comes to paying the pastor, you should do that. The Bible says that we are worthy of our wages. In other words, you know what? We labor for you. So I'm not saying that as shepherds that we should not be paid. We should be paid. Because this job is really, or this labor of love, is one that is 24-7. It doesn't stop. It goes on and on, day and night. You guys have calls. You call me. I call you. It doesn't matter what time. I try not to call you after 11 and I pray that you don't call me after 11. But if it's an emergency... Then I will answer the phone. Or my wife will nudge me and say, somebody's calling. But see, this is important for us. But as I mentioned earlier, your prayers for me. And I ask that you pray this that I no longer divide my time between this as a shepherd and my other job. There's nothing wrong with it. Paul was a tent maker, and he worked while he served in the ministry. But it is God's desire that I not be divided. It is God's desire that I would serve you all full time and relieve me of my outside employment. As we go on, in verse 3, it says, Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flocks. We are not lords. As shepherds, as leaders, understand one thing I am not a dictator. I am not out here whipping you to do things. You know what? It's so amazing what happened in this outreach. You know what? I love what I saw. Because see, it wasn't me that had to be telling you guys what to do. What was amazing about this outreach is that everybody knew what they needed to do. And they went out and did it. And for those that don't know, the outreach that we had on Friday, as we reached out to the community, to the youth, You know what was awesome? It's just to see everything being handled. I wasn't up here on, on this pedestal and screaming with the mic and telling you guys, do this and do that. I was out there, a part of it, with all of you. And everyone just did what they needed to do. See, the Word of God says, I am to be an example. How can I expect you to do something if I myself don't do it? I must strive to be an example for you all in everything that I do. I'm not perfect and many of you have seen my imperfections. And many of you maybe have been hurt by me. But it's not that I did it purposely or because I wanted to do it. But one thing that I do know is that I need to practice what I preach I can't expect you to do something if I'm not going to do it. I was out there laboring with you as we did the outreach. I must also lead by example. And this is what Peter reminds us of. Be examples to the flock. Not only by word, but by deed. I need to do what I preach behind this pulpit. And if I ain't doing it, Please let me know. But when it comes here to the word of God, we are going to finish with this verse. In verse 4 it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I love this. When it comes to the shepherd, I am only an under-shepherd. Remember this, the chief shepherd that's over you, as I mentioned before, it is the Lord himself. See, he's not only the chief shepherd, but he is also the true shepherd. He is also the good shepherd. He is also the great shepherd. These are titles that the Lord has received because of who he is. You know what? I want us to turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel Please turn there with me. And I want to give you an illustration of what God does as the true shepherd. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 11. I'm going to read there as you're turning your pages there. Just meet me as I read. I'm in verse 11. It says, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring them back And bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. You know what's so amazing about this is that the word in verse 15 that I will make them lie down. This is very key when it comes to sheep. Did you know that unless sheep have no fear, unless sheep are completely fed? Unless sheep aren't bothered by things, they will not lie down. They will not rest. And this is what Jesus says as a true shepherd. I will give you rest. As I promised you, we read about the crown of glory here. Uh, Peter mentions this crown. He, He says that, you know what, that the pastors, the leaders, that they will receive a crown of glory. This is an unfading crown that will be delivered to us that are faithful at the Bema seat. We, there are several crowns that are mentioned for believers in the New Testament. And these will be given to us at the judgment seat of Christ. As I mentioned to you, the crown of glory, this is the pastor's crown. And it is given to those that are faithful to feed the flock of God. And we know that this could include its possibility that God will include teachers, preachers, Sunday school teachers, missionaries, all of those that teach the word of God. We know that it is so important to study and to teach, to teach the truth. Not your thoughts, not your ideas, but the truth of God. And this is why God will reward you with this crown. This is the crown, the first crown that I wanted to talk about. The second crown that I wanted to talk about is the incorruptible crown. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, In verse 24. As you're turning there. I'm going to give you sort of a. a, Just a title to these crowns. That that are easier to remember. Like the crown of glory. Is a pastor's crown. This uh, crown. Or this incorruptible crown. Is actually called the imperishable crown. And let's read in verse 24. It says. "Do Do you not know that those who run in a race. At all. I'm sorry, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. You and I are running a race For this imperishable crown. We see others that compete. They receive crowns. But those crowns. Do they last forever? Those crowns will break apart. They will rust. They will deteriorate. But when it comes to the crown. That God will give believers. Certain believers. Is this one. This unfading crown. Who faithfully ran the race. See we all got to run this race. What about those that died right before they were taken by the Lord? They're not going to receive this crown. But it was, it's going to be given to those who faithfully ran the race. The race that God set out for you. And we are to be the best at this as we can possibly be. You are to make sacrifices to successfully complete all the works that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in. If you are walking in the works that God has prepared beforehand, faithful to them. This is a crown that we're we're going to receive. See, we can't be quitters. If you're quitters, then this crown won't be given to you. God has called us all. He's gifted us all. He's imparted certain gifts for you to use to build up the church, to equip the church. And if you're not using them faithfully, running this race faithfully, then you may not see this crown. There is a third crown. And as you, let's go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 19. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is called the crown of rejoicing. And this is really this is really called a soul winner's crown. And this crown that we're talking about here is really going to be given for those who share their faith, who share the saving grace of God and to lead souls to Jesus Christ. And as we read it, it says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul, uh, Paul is referring here to those that he led to Christ. This is a crown for those that are, you know what, sharing the gospel. For those that are preaching the gospel and bringing people to the Lord, you will receive a crown of rejoicing. These are for soul winners. This is what's so amazing. This is another crown that God will give to those that share the gospel. The fourth crown is the crown of life. I want you to turn to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, verse 12. And we're going to give you two verses because this refers to two types of behavior that you do. It says in verse 12 of James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So in other words, if you endure temptation... If you endure trials, if you endure hardship, suffering for the name of Christ, remember, suffering for the name of Christ, just as Peter and Paul and many others have been martyred for the Lord, they will receive the crown of life. This is usually referred to as a martyr's crown. And why I say this, if you turn to Revelation chapter 2, it is mentioned again. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. It says there, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. But be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So for those that are martyred for Jesus Christ, for those that suffer and endure persecution, trials, you will receive the crown of life. Those Christians that have been martyred throughout history will receive this crown. And the final crown is in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8, this crown that the believers will receive is called the crown of Righteousness. And as I read to you, I want to read it to you what it says. It says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearance. You know what? This is given to those who are waiting for the appearance of Christ, who are actually anxiously waiting for it, who are living righteously. They will receive this crown. Some people can be awaiting the crown. Uh, I mean, the, the appearance of Christ, but they aren't living their lives in a righteous manner, in a holy manner. They are not going to receive this crown. This crown is for those that set their lives acro- apart for Jesus Christ. Can you picture yourself receiving these crowns from the Lord on the bema seat? Some of you will receive some crowns. Some of you may receive three, four, maybe five of these crowns. There may be some of you that may not receive any of these crowns. I want to be one that receives a multiple of crowns. Not for my glory, but for the glory of the Lord. And as I picture receiving the crowns, you know what we're going to be doing as we receive the crowns from the Lord? We will be taking the crowns off. And we will be laying them at the feet of Jesus. Do you know why this will take place? Because he deserves glory and honor. Not us. It is for his glory and for his honor. But one thing that we know is that after we place them before the feet of Jesus, these unfading crowns will be given back to us. To live throughout eternity. A reminder of what we did for Jesus Christ while we walked on this earth. It's all about Him. It's not about us. We must remember this. And if we remember this, then we will live lives worthy of our calling. Lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Lives that are set apart for Him. Not living lives that are selfish for our flesh, for our satisfaction. For what the world will give us. But we will live lives. For his glory. For his honor. For his praise. For him to be magnified. For him to be glorified. As people see us. May they see him. And with that we will close. Lord Jesus we just want to thank you Lord. For reminding us Lord. Of the great shepherd that you are the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the true shepherd. These titles have all been given to you, and we are like sheep. All have gone astray. But you have found us, Lord, and you brought us into the fold. Lord, one day we will be resting in you. We want to be lying down. There's so many that are restless here. So many that have fears and burdens and stresses. So many that don't rest in the assurance of their salvation. Your desires that all would lie down, and we will all be lying down. One day we will be bowing before you, kneeling down before you, and one day we will be receiving crowns for your glory and for your honor. Lord, it has nothing to do with us. But it has all to do with the faithfulness to do as you have called us to do. May we be found faithful. May we be found worthy. But it all starts with surrender. It all starts By giving our lives to you. Crucifying our flesh. Our wants. Our needs. Looking forward. To what is set before us. Eternity. Being heavenly minded. If there is anyone here. If there is anyone here that. Wants to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. This is what the Lord has called us to do. To decrease so that He can increase. Look at what you've made your life and know that God can make beauty from ashes. If any of you want to surrender your life to the Lord or recommit your life to do His will to walk in the works that he has prepared beforehand, that you should walk in them. If this is you, I want you to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen, 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 amen. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Lord, you saw these hands that went up. It's all about you, Lord. And they raised their hands, Lord, in surrender to you, to your will. You knocked on their hearts and they opened them for you. I pray that each one that raised their hands, that they would allow you to do a work, that they would not get in your way, their flesh. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would yield to your spirit and that they would bear much and abundant fruit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.